Hey guys, Joe Evangelisti here, and being my first podcast, I figured I should introduce myself, give you a little bit of background about me and, and how I got to the point that I am today. So here goes. I started out as a builder. I was always a builder. When I was eight years old, I had a hammer in my hand, and I used to follow my dad around. My dad's been a builder my whole life, and long before that, building single-family homes and things like that. So uh, it's always been in my heart to be a builder. I've always liked construction. I've always liked turning nothing into something. And when I was about 16 years old, uh, my dad had a foreman named Dave. And Dave was a reservist in the United States Navy Seabees. And at the time, you know, I had no idea what that was, but I came to find out that the Navy actually has a whole group of guys and gals that actually do construction. They build, you know, they, they do a lot of work for the Marine Corps. Um, they do a lot of work around the world. They, they build airstrips, they build bases, they build uh, all kinds of great stuff. So this guy Dave taught me that this was available to me, and when I was 18, I decided uh, I'm going to join the Navy. So I went and joined the Navy, and I became a builder in the Navy as well, which taught me all kinds of great stuff. You know, I learned to work with building construction materials, concrete, wood, steel, you name it. The cool thing about the Seabees is they build, they fight, so they train like Marines as far as defending uh, the, the base, but they also know how to build the base. I learned some really great values. You know, the CB motto is can do, and that's just how I've kind of gone through life so far. Uh, can do, you know, can do attitude. You know, I got out of the Navy and I, I really went right into construction. I started doing project management for uh, a big uh, government contract company called Kellogg Brown and Root. And uh, from there, I learned how to do project management and tracking and systems and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, from that point, I decided I wanted to get into real estate. And I think I've always had a bug for real estate. I, I've always thought about it. I always wanted to get into it. And so in uh, about 2007, we uh, bought our first property. And me and my business partner, who's also one of my best friends since I was nine years old, went and uh, flipped this property completely by hand. And I tell you, uh, it was a lot of work. I, I had a full-time job at the time, and we would go there from 6 p.m. to midnight, and we flipped an entire four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home, kitchens, baths, flooring, windows, uh, electric, plumbing, I mean, you name it. Uh, this was a 60-year-old a bi-level home, and we did everything. So I handled most of the carpentry end of things, and then my, uh, my partner Dan did the plumbing and the electric and uh, the utility-type stuff. And uh, we flipped that home in 12 weeks working nights and weekends. And I tell you, it was a big lesson learned, a lot of, lot of good lessons, a lot of, lot of hands-on stuff, which you know I wouldn't trade for the world. But I tell you what, it also taught me that you don't ever want to be the guy flipping your own home because you, know, you make decent money, but you kill yourself doing it, and guess what, guys? It's not scalable. You know, you can only do one at a time, and uh, that might be okay for some folks, but it just wasn't really good enough for us. And so we figured that we need to find a way to buy more homes, create more velocity in our business, do more flips, keep more properties, develop a real real estate business. And uh, since then, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, we've been able to flip dozens of homes. I've done new construction projects. I've acquired apartment buildings. Uh, uh, I've also uh, been a real estate broker and currently own a Remax real estate brokerage in Haddonfield, New Jersey. So, you know, I'm really excited to hopefully bring 
some, uh, some productive advice to your day to help you grow your, your business, your, your life, your, you know, your real estate portfolio, uh, whatever, whatever the case may be. I, I really want to be here for you guys and, and see you grow. So I hope you get a lot out of this podcast, and, and I, I encourage you to reach out you know, via email, joe at theflipking.com. And uh, let's let's spark up some conversation. Let's talk about the business. I tell you what, I I, I work this job eight days a week, and, and I love it. And uh, no one can ever take that away. I think it's uh, I think it's an awesome opportunity. So this first podcast is all about getting your first deal, getting off the fence, and going out and buying your first deal. And I tell you what, it took me a, a while to to get the confidence to go and do it. But I tell you what, without the first deal, you're never going to find yourself doing the two hundredth deal. Again, I hope it motivates you, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. We're going to talk today a little bit about doing your first deal. Uh, I think when people talk about getting into this business, they think, you know, it must be so difficult to do that first deal. And I think anyone that tells you that's been in the business for a long time, uh, they're going to tell you that doing your first deal is what really breaks you into it, what really gets you started. And uh, so I want to take some time today to talk about how do you get into your first deal? How do you how do you get through that barrier of trying to get started in this business? That way you can be successful down the road. And uh, what are, what are your common concerns? Let's first talk about what's holding you back, right? So you've probably listened to a lot of things from you know different gurus and uh, different real estate agents and investors around the country. You know they're doing lots of volume. They're doing different deals. And uh, you're sitting on the sidelines and you're saying, how do I make money? How do I get involved in this business and and start to secure my future, right? So what I want to talk about first is what's holding you back, right? What what is scaring you that's that's keeping your you from driving forward and and uh, going after that first deal and closing something of your own and getting involved in the business? Because I can tell you, just like most people will tell you that have been in the business a long time, you just got to break the ice. You know, you just got to get involved. You got to get your first deal under your belt, and then you're going to kind of look back and say, you know what? I wish I did. 10 deals at the same time, you know, I think that, uh, you know, when you spend a lot of time thinking about the deal, thinking about what it is that you want to get involved in, thinking about how you want to execute it, you get involved in that, uh, that motion of just being uh, overwhelmed by all the possibilities and all the risks and all the questions and concerns that keep you from getting into that deal. So what are the main concerns that come up, right? So we have money, obviously, right? Where are we going to get the money? Where do we find the money? How do we fund the deal? Right, we have time. You know, or is this something you're going to do part time? Are you going to quit your job and go do this full time? You know, how much time can you uh, reasonably expect to spend on your first deal or many deals? Right? How do we find the deals? That's another big one, right? That's another concern. Where do you find the deals? So we'll talk a little bit about that today. And also, how do you analyze them when you do find them? How do you look at a deal and know that it's a good deal and feel confident moving forward? to be able to take down that first deal, right? Especially in the first one, because let's face it, that's the scary one, the first deal. Another concern people come up with a lot is, what do I do with the deal when I find it, right? So what is your exit strategy? You know, exit strategy refers to, okay, what am I going to do after I find this deal? You know, am I going to wholesale it, try to make a quick, you know, fee maybe for locking up the contract and finding a, a cash buyer at the end who maybe as a rehabber or they're a landlord buyer and they're going to buy it and put tenants in it, right? Maybe you want to be a rehabber. Maybe you just want to be someone who buys a house, fixes it up, sells it for a profit. 
And then maybe also you just want to be a landlord yourself. Maybe you're looking for deals so you can build a long-term portfolio. Maybe you want to become a landlord yourself. So, you know, maybe you have some money saved up and you want to go into this business and you want to, you want to look for long-term wealth, right? So those are just a couple things that we could do once we find the deal. So let's start with the money, right? So, you know, you need money to buy real estate, but it doesn't necessarily need to be your money. And one of the biggest and best ways that I've found to invest personally is through private money, private loans, right? So basically people that have a lot of money and they want to see it grow at a better rate than what they think the market can produce. Maybe they want to put it invested in you because they, they want to see something happen locally. You know, they can get involved potentially with equity. It doesn't have to be with equity. Maybe they just want a return on their money. And, uh, you know, they can get great returns. They can do it in their backyard and they can stimulate their own economy in their local market. So that's a, that's a great one, private lenders. Then you also have the banks, right? So you might have a bank. I recommend local community banks, uh, someone that maybe you've already established a relationship with. You know, we don't all have that. I didn't have that when I started out. But, you know, certainly community banks, local banks are a big part of our, our business now, um, now that we've, we've finally accumulated a little bit. And, uh, you know, they're a great resource, you know, because generally they hold their own notes, which means they don't sell them on the open market. They control their own notes. They're usually quicker to go through as far as uh, underwriting and all that kind of stuff because it's in-house. And uh, they're able to generate that loan for you generally and for us two to three weeks depending on the, uh, the structure of the loan. Benefit to that local bank if you have the ability to get in with them. The interest is going to be way less than a private lender in most cases. And uh, they're going to be pretty easy to deal with because you have that local relationship. Uh, and then, guys, there's also, you know, self-directed IRAs. I mean, you can Google self-directed IRAs. You'll get enough information to just blow your mind. I mean, you know, what you'll get off of Google, you'll find out that, uh, you know, these folks are people who have big money in their retirement. It doesn't even have to be big money. I mean, you know, look in your local market. What do you need to do a deal? But you find someone that has six figures or, or more in their IRA, and they're looking for a different investment. You know, maybe they're not happy with the mutual funds or, or uh, whatever they're invested in right now in, in, the, um, in the stock market. And maybe they just want to see a better return on their investment and they want to see it happen, you know, for their retirement. And in most cases, they're tax deferred or they're tax free, depending on how they're set up. So these people get to see their retirement grow at just an exponential number. Uh, it gives a great, uh, it's, it's a great resource for you to be able to do it quickly you know, the funds are available immediately. And, uh, you know, when you find someone that will lend in their self-directed IRA, generally it's just a really clean deal, makes it easier for you all around. So uh, let's talk about time for a minute. You know, how much time does it take to be an investor, right? And I can tell you that the time, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a full-time job, part-time job, I don't care if you're retired, you can find time to get into this business. And time should not be a deterrent should not stand in your way and should not be a reason to keep you from uh, holding you back from doing your first deal. It just shouldn't be. You know, so let's put an example. Let's say you're a wholesaler, right? You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you're going to wholesale a home if you spend three hours a week in front of your computer. But the fact of the matter is, even if you have a full-time job, you can put together the marketing, you can drive the buyer leads, you can find the seller leads, you can put together a deal in a few hours a week if you really just concentrate on it, and I'm talking not hours where you're trying to babysit your kids and you're on the laptop at the same time or, or you know, you, you just you snuck in 15 minutes. But if you really concentrate and you put, 
you put it forward that you have the time and you can sit there after work, even for an hour or two each day, and really work at this, at this business, you can wholesale some deals. And, you know, I've known a lot of guys who've done it part-time until they can replace their current income, and then they decide to jump into it full-time, right? And that's how a lot of people get in the business nowadays with wholesaling. The ability is out there. The, the, the deals are out there. It's not difficult, right? So if you get started and you can replace your current income, if you have a job now, then you can jump in full-time, and then you can start devoting yourself to doing 10, 15, 20. I mean, I know guys that are doing 50 deals a month, and, you know, super, super successful. They've built systems. They've turned it into a business. But starting out, you don't need to do that. You, you just need to do a couple deals a month, and you'll find quickly when you're starting to wholesale things for 5 or 10 or 15 grand a piece, you know, it doesn't take too many deals to replicate your income and be able to make that jump forward and start to go ahead and work for yourself and become a true entrepreneur. So time should not be an issue, whether you're part-time or full-time in your current job. So let's talk about finding deals, right? So how do we find deals? And there's a lot of ways to find deals. And first, I think you have to decide what type of deals do you want, right? So, you know, whenever you look at the deal structure, what's out there, you have obviously the MLS. You know, you can work with a local realtor, someone who knows um, distressed properties, maybe someone who's like a short sale foreclosure uh, resource, someone like that. Uh, maybe a bank-owned specialist, something like that, right? It takes a long time to develop the rapport with them and them to feel comfortable that you're the real deal, right? So that, that takes a little bit longer. I would recommend when you're talking MLS-type properties and realtor involvement, you know, I don't know that I would jump right into it. Frankly, um, you know, I'm a broker myself, and for years I've had investors call me that you just know they're, they're not real. You know, they're not ready. And uh, you, so you're not going to – I don't think you're going to command the respect that you need to uh, early on in the business. And, that, and that's kind of something I would probably shy away from. I don't know that I would do that right out of the gate. But it's certainly something long-term. A lot of guys have built – a lot of guys and girls have built huge businesses off of relationships with brokers and realtors. So that is one way you can do it. Another crowd of people you can look into, um, you know, just short sales, right? Foreclosures, again, going to be dealing with that realtor, but it's a little bit longer term. And depending on what your exit strategy is, what you're looking to do with the property, sometimes you find some good deals on short, on short sales. So um, we can look into other lists, right? We can look into how much equity they have or 100% equity, you know, um, non-owner occupant is another one. Uh, we're just trying to find motivated sellers, right? So we're trying to find people who have property that they're not interested in. You know, one of the things we do is probate. You know, so probate, if you're not familiar, is uh, when someone passes away, their estate goes through the process of probate through the state, uh, the state that they live in. So what they have to do is register that property or, sorry, re register the estate of that person, and that becomes public record. And so you kind of figure out, you know, who passes away and when. Uh, and the truth is you'll hear a lot of jokes. You know, the people out there, they're ambulance chasers and all those kind of good things. But, you know, the funny thing about all that is, we help a lot of families in that in that type of situation. You know, there's a lot of times where you're dealing with the siblings or or you know the kids of the of the deceased, and you know they're motivated. They just they don't want to deal with the home. You know, mom or dad might have passed away three four months ago. They don't want to deal with the payments. They don't want to deal with the taxes, the upkeep, the maintenance. They don't want to get the property ready for the for the real market if they were going to sell at retail. You know, we've done a lot of deals, guys, in the last couple of years where we've met with the seller. And, and, you know, I told you I'm a broker, so I would say, look, this is what you can sell it for if you list it, and this is what I'll pay you. And they, they turn around and shake my hand and say, I'll take the cash offer. You know, we're talking thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 less 
just because they don't feel like taking up the, the, the shag rugs out of the house. They don't feel like cleaning the house up and getting it ready for the market. You know, maybe they're splitting that money with five kids. You know, you never know what the reasoning is. But the point is, when you get in front of a motivated seller, they're going to be motivated for a reason. And it's not always for money. They're usually motivated for time or, or just, just a situation, just to, just to relieve themselves of the stress of having to deal with that house, that property. And I tell you what, that's worth more than money to a lot of people. So, you know, I think that that's one angle you want to look at is probates. Um, it's something that uh, we've, we've built a lot of business on, and I think it makes a lot of sense. You can wholesale some stuff like that. You can sell it in the open market. You can use it as a rental. It fits all those criteria of what to do with the property after you find it. Um, so uh, that's something I, I would recommend. So how do we find all these people, right? So I just gave you a list of all the potential, you know, motivated, quote, motivated situations, right? There's, there's, I'm sure, a few more that we missed, but, you know, those are the big ones. So how do we find them? So our business is a marketing business first and foremost. You'll hear anyone say it who's been in the business a while that there's just a lot of, a lot goes into the marketing. A lot has to do with your message. A lot has to do with the, what you send out, how you, how you get them to call you back, right? So your call to action. So most people will tell you that they're sending out mailers, we're sending out letters, we're sending out postcards. Depends on what what uh, list you're mailing to. Depends on what they get. Whether it's a uh, a more formal letter or if it's a postcard or if it's a hey we buy houses, just kind of open open ended thing. I would just say you always want to make sure you have a great call to action. And what that means is you want to get them to pick up the phone and call you. So that's the most important thing, the conversation that you have with that motivated seller. Look, when you send them out to these lists, you know, 80% of the people are motivated, but most postcard campaigns only see a 1% to 2 or 3% return uh, callback, callback ratio. So you got to be really, really focused on what it is you're sending out so that you're not, you know, wasting money at the mailbox, you know, putting postage on things and not getting anywhere because that could be really frustrating. One thing I'll say about marketing, it's got to be consistent. You know, so if you're that guy that's, you know, taking three or four hours out of his week and, and, you're, and you're doing consistent business, that should mean sending out consistent letters, mailers, postcards, what, what have you, every week. I don't care if it's 50 postcards. I don't care if it's 550 postcards or 5,000 postcards. But if you do something every week, you're going to start to see traction. You're going to start to see people respond to you because they see you in the marketplace and you have a little bit of a name for yourself. Not only that, you should mail everyone more than once, right? You know, if you send them a postcard once, they might look at it and say, you know what, I could probably really use Joe, but you know what, I'm not ready yet. I'll call him back in a month. And guess what? My postcard's in the trash, or they started the fireplace with it. It's gone, right? But if I mail them that same postcard or, or different things every couple weeks for three or four months, chances are my stuff's going to be in front of them when they really need to call me, when they're ready. A lot of times people get themselves in situations, it takes them months to figure out. They're really not, they're not capable of handling the property. You know, maybe they thought they could be a landlord and it failed. You know, maybe they thought they could move their cousin in for under market rent and it turns out that the cousin's not paying them rent. You know, there's a million things that happen, but during the process of you being in front of them every week, every week, they're going to start to get more motivated as you start to build a little bit of a rapport with them via drip mail. You know, so they're starting to see your face and your name and, and your product, right? Let's talk about some other ways of, uh, of finding deals. 
one of the big things everyone's doing nowadays is wholesaling, right? And I love wholesaling myself. I know guys who just do nothing but wholesaling. In fact, I was just a, a mastermind group last week with a table full of just great guys doing big business. And uh, one of them told me a story about how about nine months ago he was in a, uh, a limo ride. They went to dinner and they were coming home in, in the car ride. And uh, their mentor said to them, guys, you got to stop rehabbing. You know, I want you to go home, cancel all your rehabs, do nothing but wholesale. You know, they thought, geez, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? We're rehabbing six, ten houses a year. There's good money in this. You know, so he said, go straight wholesaling. You'll find yourself making a lot more money with a lot less effort. So uh, now these guys, fast forward nine months, are doing 10, 12 sides a, uh, a month in the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth market. And they're loving life. You know, they, they don't rehab anything anymore. They don't have to deal with contractors. Uh, not that I mind that. I kind of like that myself. But, you know, so these guys are big-time wholesaling. And there's a lot of guys out there that are doing big-time wholesaling. So, you know, wholesaling is a big thing in our market. And one way that you can get into the business, take advantage of the deals that are out there, and kind of learn your way up through the, through the ranks is with wholesaling, right? With wholesaling, here's the deal. You buy a contract. I'm sorry. You put something under contract. Put down you know, escrow deposit, you know you have it locked up for X amount of dollars. Let's say you found a property for 50 grand. Well, you've already done the math ahead of time and you know that house is worth 60 grand to a rehabber like myself. So you know you have a $10,000 spread in there. All you got to do is call Joe and you're going to sell it for 10 grand, right? So that's a wholesale deal in a nutshell. Now, you can go out and do wholesale deals on your own. You have to learn how the, all the, you know, the intricacies of meeting and negotiating with the seller and all that kind of thing. But one of the great ways to get involved is to just call wholesalers, you know, go through Craigslist and just look at all the people who are selling, you know, maybe it says we buy houses or, you know, search the distressed properties list or just search the word wholesale in Craigslist. And you're going to end up finding a list. Uh, you build yourself a little list of all the people who are doing wholesale deals in your neighborhood, right? I would reach out to them immediately because there's a couple of different ways you can make money with a wholesaler. One is you can help them find deals. So you can bird dog for them is what it's called. So, you know, they'll tell you about what they do to market. You do the marketing. And then when you find the deals, you call them and they're going to help you unload that property. And then sometimes they split that fee with you or it's negotiable. You know, let's say there is a $10,000 spread. They might say, I need six. You take four. But look, you just made $4,000 for sending out somebody else's postcard and putting a deal together. I'd say it's a great way to get in the business. The other way you can do it is you can just co-op your own deals with wholesalers. So let's say you do find a great deal and you say, oh my gosh, I got a great deal. I don't know who I'm going to sell it to. Remember what we said at the beginning, what do you do with the property once you have it? You know, I got to wholesale this deal. I have to make money. I'm under contract now. Jeez, I don't know who I'm going to sell it to. Contacting those wholesalers is the quickest way to get in touch with their buyers list, right? So now you're contacting that wholesaler. They're sending out your property and now it's what's called a co-op deal. You're going to cooperate with that wholesaler. And they might want a bigger piece of the pie or whatever it might be, but it gets your property sold. It gets your contract sold to that, to that end user investor, right? And that, that might be a great way to get in the business. Again, it makes some money. You can also bird dog for other investors too, right? They don't have to be wholesalers to, be a, to bird dog for them. There's guys like, again, like rehabbers like myself who are out there want to buy properties. So I have guys on the street that are looking, you know, all the time, mailmen, for example, looking for vacant properties, you know, things that seem out of place or, or you know, they know that from delivering the mail that it's been, you know, postponed or sent somewhere else. So now they know, hey, this might be something. So these guys 
get that information for me, send it back. And when I can close it, they'll get a grand or two. You know, they make $2,000 maybe on a deal that they sent to me simply for sending a, 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 um, an address, right? So that could be you. That could be a bird dog if you're trying to get into the business for the first time, right? The thing is, guys, you got to realize the abundance philosophy. And that just means basically the more we share, the more we grow. There's a lot of business out there. So I think what happens is the beginning of the time when people start getting in the business, they feel like, oh, it's so competitive. There's so much um, other investors out there. It's so cutthroat. And the truth of the matter is it couldn't be more different than that. You know, in my local area, I talk to other investors all day long. You know, sometimes they have deals I, they don't want. I have deals I don't want. We, we switch them, swap them around. You know, we pay each other a, an assignment fee. We pay each other a fee for finding the deal. You know, when you're getting started in the business, one of the best ways you can get involved is just get involved. Just talk to other investors. And a lot of times you're going to find out that they're more helpful than you might think. That brings me to the, uh, the equation, right? So how do we figure out these deals? So the math is pretty simple, right? The math is this. If you find a property for $100,000, the typical investor will pay you 70% of the value of that property minus repairs. Now, if you don't know what repairs are, you could say simply a system of $5,000 per room, right? Because typically what happens is if you need a, a kitchen, a bath, a laundry room, and uh, you know, uh, renovate the, uh, the living room, whatever that might be, carpet, paint, and all that, it's not going to cost you five grand to renovate the living room, but it's also not going to be as cheap as five grand to renovate the kitchen, right? So they all kind of average out. So you might walk through a house and say, you know what, it's just beat to death in all, all areas, and you come up with 25 grand. Let's call it 20 grand for kicks. If you're at a $100,000 house, they'll pay 70% minus 20 grand, right? So we're at $70,000 minus $20,000. We're at $50,000. That's what a typical rehabber will pay. Okay, so that's the quick down and dirty number. Now, how to figure out what your wholesale fee is, just subtract what you want to make from that 50 grand. You know, if you think you can get the house for 40 grand, then you just made 10. If you can get it for 30, you just made 20. You know, I know some guys out there short sell themselves and they'll offer 47 so they can make three grand because they're happy. You know, everybody's different. My time isn't worth $3,000 to flip a contract, but you know, some other people getting into the business might, might think that's a lot of money. They want to, they want to do that deal. So, you know, whatever you can get it below 50 grand, that's the number you're going to try to lock it up at. Then you call a rehabber or a buyer or someone else, some other, some other wholesaler, and you try to place an end buyer in that position. So now that guy gives you 50 grand and you just made three, seven, ten, whatever, whatever it is that, uh, that you had it under contract for is the difference. Now there's a lot of little pieces in that, but Frankly, any, any wholesaler that's done more than two deals can explain to you all the little intricacies of that. So again, I get on Craigslist, start calling around, see who you can talk to. So guys, that kind of wraps up this show. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. We're going to have some great future shows. We're going to have some interviews uh, with some great uh, investors throughout uh, the country. We got, a, we got a couple different guys that I'm thinking of already that really know how to uh, wholesale at a high level. I think could be great uh, experience for you guys to listen to. As always, I'm here for you. You can reach out to me directly at joe at theflipking.com. Again, that's joe at theflipking.com. And uh, send me an email. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to guide you any way I can. Love to help you through and become a, uh, a big-time investor one day. Thanks for listening, and I hope I motivated you to break that ice and go out and do your first deal. Get your feet wet and get in this business. 